0: The monsters that roam these hills use many tools for their dark work. Claws, teeth, knives, smiles, and lies. But the most disturbing weapon of all might be the one employed by a boogeyman no larger than your thumbnail. The antlion. It kills with jaws half the length of its body. But its true weapon is the avalanche angle. Antlion traps can be found all across the Ozarks, anywhere the earth is soft and loose. They have the look of a small funnel dug straight down into the soil, just an inch or two deep, and the antlion is lurking just out of sight at the bottom of the funnel. It doesn't have to hunt, it just has to wait. This minuscule monster has carefully dug its pit to be so steep that the dirt sides are barely held up, the smallest amount of friction. It will collapse in on itself at the slightest vibration. All it takes is a wayward ant to step one tiny foot onto this seemingly solid surface and the entire thing will fall. The ant begins an agonizingly slow slide that cannot be stopped, a pitiless avalanche, delivering it to something it can't see but can undoubtedly sense waiting at the bottom. But surely the ground beneath your next step is solid. Surely you won't feel, with your next footfall, a sudden lurch and a slow plummet. We invite you to tread lightly with us through these haunted hollows.
1: When I was a kid, I swore I would get as far away from my family farm in that little town on the Missouri-Arkansas border as humanly possible. In the end, I only made it about 100 miles. That was enough. Over the next decade, I came to realize I truly love the Ozarks. Not everything, of course. Not the long-held grudges, nor the deep, dry rot of bigotry that lives just under the surface. But there are things I do love. I love the way the summer heat becomes unbearable just before it breaks in October. The way I stumble across fossils from an incomprehensibly ancient sea nearly every time I take a hike. The way the river runs blue and clear and clean. The way the same pair of cardinals raises new chicks in our backyard every year. The way it feels to sit around the fire with family both blood and chosen and sing our hearts out. The way a few good people trying to make a bad place better can, very occasionally, perform miracles. All of that is a long-winded way of saying I've made peace with love in the Ozarks, despite its flaws. I'll live here until the day I die. And not just because I'm stuck. This place is in my bones. But just because you love something doesn't mean it's not dangerous. There are good places here and good people. But there are bad places and bad things in these hills too. And not all of them are people. The hundred mile drive from my house in the city to my family's farm goes down just about every winding road in Hell's Half Acre. It passes through towns that are barely clinging on to life. And it passes through towns that have been dead for decades. Empty buildings where the air smells like snakes and mildew, cars on blocks, and no human beings around for miles. I've always been fascinated by the sight of nature reclaiming a place that people put so much of themselves into creating. It's an emotion that's hard to pin down. Sorrow, certainly, but also a bit of awe, and a touch of something unnameable. The comfort and terror of seeing what happens to all of us in the end. I drive back home pretty regularly and I used to stop in those hollowed-out husks to take pictures and wander around and think. I don't anymore. I drive past them with my windows rolled up and the music up as loud as it can go. This story is the reason why. I won't tell you the real name of the little spot where this happened. Real people live their lives there, and they deserve more respect than being the haints in someone's story. And more importantly, I don't want you to go looking for it. I don't need that on my conscience. Let's call it Shady Grove. The road going through is cracked and overgrown and hasn't seen a greater in years. There are only two buildings still standing there. An old post office, long since abandoned, and a large, odd building with a hand-painted sign that promises auctions and live bluegrass music every Thursday and Friday. That sign must have told the truth at some point, but it's been a liar as long as I've been alive. Neither of these buildings have glass left in any of the windows of course. The top floor of the auction house is almost entirely collapsed. A sycamore tree grows up through the hole where the roof should be, bone white branches standing out against the sky like some twisted hand raised in supplication. One Wednesday as I was driving through Shady Grove to visit my parents on the farm, I noticed something odd enough to make me break to a stop in the middle of the road. It appeared that someone had cleaned up the old auction house. The sign was newly painted and promised a grand reopening the next evening. There was glass in the windows, the door was back on its hinge, and strangest of all, the roof was complete and freshly tiled. Not a trace remained of that sycamore tree. I didn't see any sign of the person who had done the work. I decided I would come back the next night during the promised grand reopening so I could congratulate him, maybe get a look inside while I was at it. It's dark driving through the country at night dark enough that I could see the lights of the newly restored auction house half a mile out on my way back the next night. I had my windows down, and as I got closer, I could hear the unmistakable sound of old-time music. Peaches in the summertime, apples in the fall. If I can't have the one I love, I won't have none at all. I pulled up to the now lively auction hall, and my mouth immediately started watering from the smell of barbecue and freshly baked bread. I had a sudden almost overwhelming urge to run inside and start partaking of the festivities. I opened the car door out of instinct and began to take a step out. My foot hesitated though, just a few inches off the ground. Some instinct for which I am grateful for this very day caused me to pull back into the car and take a closer look. Something was off. For one thing, despite the light and the noise and the people inside, there were no other parked vehicles in sight. Then there was the quality of the light. It was flickering, as though the building was filled with kerosene lamps rather than electric. This area had been one of the last places in the country to be electrified, but surely there was no reason to use kerosene lanterns now, decades later. Then I took a closer look through the window. The people inside were... calm. They were dancing with movements that looked... well, I reckon the impression it gave was people who had only read about dancing and never seen it done, or something that had only read about people and had never seen them move at all. Their shuffling steps were jerky, out of time with the music. Their faces seemed blurred in the flickering light. And then I noticed something even stranger about the music. That line about peaches in the summertime and apples in the fall kept on repeating over and over and over as though a record was skipping or that was the only line the musicians knew. And then I saw something that made a pit of my stomach. It wasn't the flickering light of the lanterns making the faces of the figures inside seem blurred. They just were blurred. They looked like someone had set a glass of water down on a pencil sketch of a face and had smudged it half past recognition. They looked like fading memories. What they didn't look at all anymore was human. I started the car back up and went on my way with a lead foot on the pedal, but that repeated refrain from the song followed me for what felt like miles. Peaches in the summertime, apples in the fall, If I can't have the one I love, I won't have none at all. The next time I drove through, the auction house looked just like I'd always known it. A relic of times past, half fallen down with that bone-white tree growing out the roof. I've had a lot of years to think on what happened that night in Shady Grove. For a long time, I looked for a record of some kind of disaster that could have caused such spirits to linger. Had the auction hall burned at some point? But no, the only fire that ever touched it was the slow, smoldering coal of time. There was no concentrated tragedy here, just the thousand diffuse tragedies of a place where people had lived and loved and laughed and died once upon a time and didn't anymore. I don't think it was ghosts I saw that night. At least, it wasn't the ghosts of people. By the time most of the people who lived in Shady Grove died, they were scattered to the winds. There's no reason they'd haunt that blasted, desolate place. I think what I saw that night was the ghost of a dead town, desperately hungry for someone, anyone it could tempt back. I think it was trying to show me a half-remembered, half-imagined past, the last time that town had known it was still loved, the last time it had been alive. I think whatever remained of Shady Grove could sense in me a shadow of what the people who had once lived there felt for it. What would have happened to me if I'd stepped into that auction house? Would I have disappeared right away, consumed by whatever twisted nostalgia let the thing that was Shady Grove stir one last time? Maybe. But I don't think so. I think it would be worse than that. It didn't want to kill me. After all, I couldn't stay there and love it if it killed me outright. I think it would have tried to make me love it in its own broken, poisonous way. Of this I'm absolutely certain. One way or another, I never would have left Shady Grove again. It's been nearly ten years since that night. I can't help but feel like that old auction house is watching me through those busted windows every time I drive by, but I've never seen whatever remains there stir again. During my waking hours. I wish I could say as much for my dreams. But more and more often I find myself walking down that cracked asphalt road as soon as I close my eyes. I can see the light of the party at the auction house just a ways ahead. And that awful song starts up. Slow at first, like a player piano being wound for the first time in decades, but growing faster and faster, singing in a voice that sounds like my own, about peaches in the summertime and apples in the fall. I try to stop, to scream, to turn around and run the other way, but my feet keep moving forward slowly and methodically, and God help me, it feels like coming home. If I can't get the one I love, then I won't have
0: none at all. If I had no horse to ride, I'd be found a-crawling. Up and down this rocky road, I'm looking for my darling.
1: There ain't no way to slake my thirst or breath, ease my hunger. Wait for you to pass my way and rise from my slumber.
0: Let's consider that ant on its poor doomed tumble. Maybe they're too simple a creature to even have emotions but let's presume for the moment that they do. What does it feel as it slides? Terror of the monster at the bottom of the pit? Fear of the pinch of its jaws? Maybe, but maybe it feels instead a kind of awful relief. The knowledge that no matter what mistakes it has made, what choices have led it to this point? The only thing that ever mattered was that last step onto this soft, yielding earth. That now it can rest easy, knowing everything is out of its control. That all that's left is the fall and the crunch. So be wary, traveler. Be wary of the things unseen, and be wary of the false comfort of the avalanche. We hope you'll join us in our continuing dance right up to the edge of the pits in these haunted hollows.